0: Uh, if you have a Bible tonight, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, if you have a Bible app that you like to use, you can go ahead and pull that out. We're going to uh, be looking at this text tonight a little bit later. First, 1, 1 Peter, um, such a great, powerful little book, if you're looking for a Bible, chapter or a book in Scripture to dive into and to study, First Peter is such a great option because it's about encouraging Christians, those of us who believe, to, to not give up, to not give in, to continue to press on. If you're here tonight and you would say that you're not really a believer, you're not a Christian yet, you're seeking, like you have questions, I think that First Peter would give you a little bit of insight into why as Christians... Um, we believe some of the things that we believe, and we hold so tightly to them. Why these are and continue to be the foundation of our faith, and we're not going to unwaver from them. First Peter was a book that was written to the, the early church, and Peter is encouraging them, don't give up, don't give in. It's teaching us how to live in this world that may not believe how we believe or live how how we live. In fact, in this letter, Peter even says, listen, as believers, as Christians, you guys are exiles in this world. You are foreigners living in a strange land. It doesn't matter where you live. As believers in Jesus, you are a foreigner. Because what we believe sets us apart from our culture. Like, there are ways that we don't fit in as believers. In fact, if you stop and think about it, I, we, were, we were driving home last night after visiting some family over spring break. And we were listening to a, uh, a kid's Christian CD and it tells some Bible stories and then it follows up with some songs that relate to the Bible stories. And as, we were, as I was listening to some of those, those stories and then hearing some of those songs, I'm like, man, we really believe some weird things happened. <laughs> not, not the least of which is that a man who was dead rose back to life. Like our culture looks at that and says, how can you believe something so absurd? But we do. In fact, that's what we stake our entire faith on. And, and so if we, if we waver even for a moment from any of those things, then, then that becomes a slippery slope. And before we know it, we look around us and we look exactly like our culture. And First Peter is about teaching us how to not get caught in that trap, how to continue to persevere, continue to hold on to the faith. And he reminds us over and over that there are going to be times when we're, we're just going to face some heat for being Christians. Like it's going to happen. Jesus even tells us you will be persecuted because of me. It's going to happen. You may even suffer for being a Christian in big ways or in small. It could be difficult. And he tells us that if we're going to stand firm in our faith, then there are some significant spiritual realities that we need to be aware of as we walk in this faith, which is why we've been spending the last few weeks on this series called Behind the Scene. We, we've been going into a little bit more about those things that, that happen just behind what is seen in the spiritual realm that, that we don't oftentimes talk about in the church, but are very much realities in our, in our faith and in this world. And we've been trying to uncover and explore some of those a little bit more so that we can have a greater understanding, not just about them in our head, but we can know how we navigate through these as we follow Jesus. Jesus. And so the truth is, is that there is more going on in this world than what our eyes can can see. There is a spiritual realm in this world that if we're not in tune with it, then it's going to be hard for us to persevere. It's going to be hard for us to stay on, on our feet. And so Peter, as he's addressing these early Christians who are being persecuted for their faith, he reminds them and he reminds us who our real enemy is. We took a closer look last week at Satan and who he is, where he came from, and what his desire is for, for our lives. If you missed last week, I encourage you to go online, socc.org, listen to the sermon. John Robertson, um, our West Campus pastor, he did an amazing job breaking that down. And one of the passages that he mentioned last week is where we're going to land tonight, and I want us to go just a little bit deeper into it to see how we can, can stand up against our fierce adversary so that we can understand what his schemes are and how we can stand up against them in um, this battle that is happening all around us. Let's look at the text together. If you don't have a Bible open, you can follow along up on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Peter writes, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. Other translations say, be watchful. And the reason he says these things is because our enemy, the devil, is looking for someone to devour. So Peter gives us this warning. He says that as Christians, we have a very real predator in this world, and it's the devil. Which sounds really superstitious, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds so Medieval. Some people read this passage and they're like, "Ah, Peter, we're in the 21st century now. We have discovered some things. We know a little bit more about how things work in the universe. We're kind of beyond all of this stuff now. But Peter wants to remind us that no, we're not. In fact, this would have seemed just as foolish to the people that that Peter originally wrote this letter to as it does to us. But Peter puts this warning out there anyway, he reminds us that we have a very real and present enemy who only wants to steal and kill and destroy the life that is ours through Jesus. He's out to kill and to steal and destroy the relationship that is ours with God and our relationship with others. That is our enemy's goal in our life. And that word that enemy, that, that Peter uses there, enemy, in verse 8, it's also translated as adversary, which is the, the name the Bible uses to describe Satan. He is our adversary. And the Greek word used for adversary here, it, it means one who is actively and continuously hostile towards someone. Actively and continuously hostile towards someone. Like, this isn't your frenemy, right? <laughs> this isn't someone who is nice to you and then maybe does something mean behind your back, but like you kind of get along and you kind of don't. No, that's not what this is at all. This is someone who is actively and continuously trying to tear you down and defeat you. It's actually a legal word. It's used to describe an opponent in a court of law. And so an adversary is an accuser. An adversary wants to put you away. An adversary wants you to be condemned. See, Satan doesn't want us to experience life with God. He wants to cut us off from God. His goal is to put a wedge between you and God. It's what he has always done and it's what he will always try to do. And he'll do it any way that he can. If he can get you to distrust God in some way, then he will try to get you to distrust God. Or he'll try to get you to discredit God's word in your life and make you um, question its value or its purpose or its power. Or he'll try to make other things in life look better than life with God. He is willing to do whatever it takes to drive a wedge between you and God. And that's what we refer to as spiritual warfare. It's Satan doing everything in his power, which is limited, but it's him doing everything in his power to drive a wedge between you and God. And So here's Peter urging us in the reality of the devil to be alert of our enemy, to be watchful, and, and I wonder... I wonder if Peter is reflecting back to a moment in his own life and speaking from experience to us. I wonder if his mind drifts back to the night before the crucifixion when, when Peter is at the Last Supper and Jesus says to him, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He wants to, he wants to see if he can turn you away from me. And, and Peter is like, no way, Jesus. Jesus. Like, that's never going to happen. Not at all. I I am willing to die for you. And yet, just a few hours later, after Jesus has been arrested, three different people approach Peter and accuse him of being one of Jesus' disciples. And every single time, Peter denies even knowing him. And there was the wedge. The devil turned up the heat. And Peter, all of a sudden, it feels a little bit risky to be associated with Jesus. Jesus. And so Peter denies even knowing him. And there's a wedge in the relationship. And so, years later, when Peter writes these words, he's, he is speaking from firsthand experience about how our adversary works. Like he knows that the devil is real, he knows that the devil wants to devour us, he knows that the devil wants to make us ineffective for God's kingdom and distract us with things that really don't matter. He knows this. We know this. So the question is, how does the devil do this? How does he work? How does he try to drive this wedge between you and God? I think in our culture, he does it in very subtle ways. And and he's always been crafty, even from the very beginning, and that's still true today. I think the, the devil works very subtly. He doesn't come to us with uh, red horns and and a pitchfork. That would be a little bit too obvious. Uh, So he's working very subtly. He's on the prowl. It's actually to his advantage if we don't believe him or if we don't overtly see him. I think he works through the systems of this world in ways that we don't even notice. Look at verse 13. Paul says something interesting, or Peter says something interesting that I want us to explore a little bit deeper because I think that it gives us insight into how the devil has worked in the past and continues to, to work today. Verse 13, he says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. The, the she in this verse is the church. And, and Peter, in this time, is writing from, from Rome. He's not writing from Babylon. In fact, Babylon hasn't even been a civilization for, for many, many years. Babylon was in ruins. And so, why does Peter refer to Rome as Babylon? I think it's because in the Old Testament, Babylon represents the kingdom or the society or the people group that was opposed to God. Babylon is the adversary of God and his kingdom. And underneath the city of Babylon, there were dark spiritual forces at work through all of their systems and all of their institutions. And so the way Satan opposes God and his work in this world is actually through the institutions and the systems a lot of times that are already at place in this world. And Paul affirms this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, when he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so if the devil wants to drive a wedge between you and God, he doesn't have to send a horde of demons after you. He can just work through the systems and the institutions that are already at place in our society. He just needs you to be addicted to your smartphone so that you're distracted from the things of God, so that you're distracted from things like meditating on Scripture or praying, or you're distracted from the very real and present people who are literally right in front of you. If I can just be honest for a moment, there have been times where I'm sitting in the chair, I've got my phone, and I'm looking at something that really doesn't matter, and my daughter, one of them, is right here going, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I'm just looking at this, and I'm distracted. And there's a wedge. Maybe I'm not alone in that. He works in subtle ways. He just needs you to be really, really busy so that you don't have any margin in your life, and you end up missing God and others. He just needs you to be anxious about your money or your future so that you don't feel like you can trust God and you take control of those things. And there's the wedge. He just needs you to think that you're the only one struggling with your addiction so that he can isolate you and make you feel alone and ashamed. He just needs you to binge out on Netflix to escape the boredom of your life so that you get caught up in a make-believe adventure instead of a real-life adventure that he is calling you to in Jesus. He just gets you to treasure things in this world more than things of God. He gets you to place more importance on religious activity than a relationship of Jesus that is marked by living and loving the way that he did. Satan subtly works through all of these avenues, but sometimes the lion's not so subtle. Sometimes the lion roars to strike fear into our hearts. That's what's going on here in Peter's day. Satan wasn't just working through the systems and the institutions of of Rome to deceive Christians. He was also working to discredit and to discourage them, to oppress them and persecute them, to make them want to give up and to give in. And so there are Christians all around our world today, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that know the roar of the lion. Like believers who are being persecuted throughout cultural systems just because of their faith. Our brothers and sisters in the Middle East and in North Africa and in China and even in places like North Korea, they know the roar of the lion in ways that we have never experienced No matter how Satan chooses to work, and he works in all of these ways and more, no matter how Satan chooses to work, his goal is always the same. His goal is to separate people from God, to drive a wedge in our relationship. His goal is to get Christians to deny Christ, either to outright deny him or to just deny him through apathy, to lose interest in him or to be bored by him. He wants to drive a wedge, any wedge he can, between us and between God. He wants to destroy the intimate relationship that God desires to have with every single one of us. He wants to make us useless for God's kingdom and in this world and for the cause of Christ. And so what do we do about this? How can we fight against the devil? Look at what Peter says in verse 9. He says, resist him. I want to just pause right there. Let's leave the passage up. Peter says the very first thing, resist him. Don't run from him, but stand your ground. It's it's interesting that whenever the Bible talks about temptation, it tells us to run, it tells us to flee, but when it talks about the devil, every single time it tells us to stand firm and resist him. In other words, if you're being tempted, don't be like, oh, I can handle this, I've got this. No, run. Flee from it, because that is the beginning of that slippery slope that, that might lead you to a really dangerous place. But when it comes to the devil, we are always told to resist him. And how do we do that? Look at what Peter says resist him standing firm in the faith. That word firm means rock solid. Just wanted to wake a couple of you up. (laughs) Stand firm, rock solid so if you want to resist the devil, be rock solid in your faith. Now that doesn't mean that you have to be this super Christian that has it all together in order to resist the devil. Because notice, Peter does not say to stand firm in your faith. He doesn't say to stand firm in yourself. He tells us to stand firm in the faith. And the nature of faith is to trust someone else, not in yourself. And so you are most rock solid in your faith when you are most dependent on Jesus. Church, did you hear me say that? You are most rock solid in your faith when you are most dependent on Jesus. Not when you're doing all of these great religious things and you're checking off of your boxes, but when you are most dependent on Jesus. When He is your life source, when He is your joy, when He is your satisfaction. That is when you are most strong in your faith. You are actually strongest when you are at your most dependent, when you are at your weakest. So the rock-solid Christian doesn't try to stand up and resist the devil on their own strength. We can't do it. The rock-solid Christian says, I'm with Jesus. He is my strength. And so really, resisting the devil just means resting in Jesus. Think about how glorious of a thought That is, resisting the devil really just means resting in Jesus. How do you resist the devil? You rest in Jesus. Peter wants us to know that we have a ferocious enemy that is prowling around behind what is seen, looking for someone to devour. He wants nothing more than to drive a wedge in your relationship between you and God. And our greatest weapon against our greatest enemy is to simply find rest in Jesus. Find rest in the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, as Peter later says in verse 10. Rest in Jesus. Yes, we have a great adversary, but Peter tells us that we have an even stronger advocate through Christ. And like John said last week, greater is the lion in us than the lion around us. The truth is the devil is a lion, but he is a lion on a leash. He is not all powerful. He is not victorious, but Jesus is. Jesus is all-powerful. Jesus is victorious over sin and death. And when we rest in him, we find our ultimate satisfaction and joy and comfort and peace in him. When our hearts truly rest in Jesus, that is when we are able to resist the devil, and that is when he will flee. So when it comes to fighting the spiritual battle happening all around us, our greatest weapon as believers is to simply rest in Jesus. To stand firm in the grace of our God. Stand firm in what God has done for you, not in what you have done for God. Stand firm in God's ability to save and to satisfy you, not in your own ability, Stand firm in the work of Jesus, not in your own good deeds. Stand firm in God's amazing grace and find rest in Jesus, the same Jesus who he himself will restore you and will make you strong and firm and steadfast to the end. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that that when you called us, and you told us that we were going to be in the middle of a battle. You gave us everything that we needed in Christ. And because of that, we can rest in him. We we don't have to have it all together. We don't have to have anything more than than Jesus and to find our ultimate satisfaction and joy and life in him. And Lord, you know more than anyone else the ways that Satan wants to drive a wedge in our relationship. He wants to make us question you, distrust you. He makes us want to distrust and discredit your word, even each other. And through all of that, he drives a wedge in our relationship, but Lord, I pray that that as we enter into this spiritual battle, this spiritual realm that is all around us, as we engage in this, that we will know that we have nothing more than we can do than just to rest on the promises of grace, to rest in those things that are already ours, to know that there are battles that we may lose, but, but Jesus has already won the war, and we can rest in him. Give us that tonight as we leave. And Lord, I pray for the person that's in here tonight that uh, maybe is seeking, maybe wants to believe that all of this is real, maybe wants to believe that there is a love that can be theirs through Christ. I pray that tonight you will bind Satan from want to whisper to them that, ah, this can't be true. And to know that, no, it is true even for them too. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.